Hello and welcome to our SVPA digital presentation, Billing and Coding in Dermatology. Our presenter is Alexandra Flam, MD. Dr. Flam is a board certified dermatologist and dermatopathologist with a clinical focus on contact dermatitis. She is currently assistant professor of dermatology and pathology at Penn State Hershey Medical Center, where she also serves as associate program director of the dermatology residency program. Dr. Flam graduated cum laude from Duke University with a BA in literature. She received her medical degree from Mount Sinai School of Medicine and during this time also completed a Doris Duke Clinical Research Fellowship at the University of Iowa. She then completed her internal medicine internship at North Shore LIG Health System where she was named Intern of the Year by her peers and faculty. She completed her dermatology residency at SUNY Downstate Medical Center and served as chief resident during her final year. She then completed a dermatopathology fellowship at University of Pennsylvania. Please welcome Alexandra Flam. All right, welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Alex Flam. I'm coming to you from Penn State in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And today we're gonna to be talking about billing and coding in dermatology. And I have no relevant disclosures or conflicts of interest for this lecture. So what are we gonna talk about during this lecture? By the end of this, I'm hoping we'll be able to explain the elements required to bill an evaluation and management or ENM code. Uh, to identify common CPT codes used in dermatology and how to appropriately utilize them, to identify when the use of a modifier is required, and common modifiers used in dermatology billing and coding. And then I also want to recognize some common billing and coding mistakes in dermatology and hopefully how to avoid them. So before we go into all of these, um, I want to step back and look at the bigger picture. Why do we write notes? Why do we document at all? And I'm gonna give you a couple of seconds to just think up a few ideas. So why do we write notes? Most importantly, we're documenting what happened in a visit, hopefully for ourselves. So when our patient follows up in a couple of months or even a year, we're able to look back at that record and know exactly what happened, what we did and why. We also wanna document what happened in a visit for other people. Um, sometimes another dermatologist or dermatology provider will follow a patient and they'll wanna know what happened previously. Sometimes a, another physician um, sends over a patient, a primary care doctor, um, and they wanna know, you know, what is this dermatology issue? So you send back your note to document that. For medical legal purposes, sometimes we document. And then finally, for billing, we also document. So just keeping in mind, we're talking about documentation in terms of billing and coding. However, there's other reasons why we may wanna document or write a note. Um, and sometimes that may require more extensive documentation depending on what we're thinking about. So let's talk about the evaluation and management codes. This is our bread and butter. Um, this is what we use when we bill for most patients seen in clinic. It may sound a little straightforward, but keep in mind, you must be evaluating and managing these patients to code this. Um, so for instance, um, if you 
saw a patient previously or they sent you a message or you spoke to them on the phone and you said, oh, I know this is an actinic keratosis or I know this is a, a suspicious lesion that needs to be biopsied and you bring them in and you do that destruction or you do that biopsy, um, in that case, you're not going to do an ENM code because you're just managing. You've already evaluated this ahead of time. How do you determine how to bill an ENM? There's multiple levels. These are based on history, physical exam, and medical decision making. And we'll go into all these in more, more detail. Giving you a kind of bigger picture look, um, keep in mind that this is going to be simplified starting on January 1st, 2021. I'm going to go through the um, way you code right now. And then at the end, I will touch on how this is going to change and be easier in a couple of months. So what kind of encounters? The new and established ones for outpatient visits. These go from 99201 to 99205 for the new and 99215 to 99215 for the established. Again, I put the X's over there because we don't usually do the level ones. So first thing, is this a new patient or an established patient? What's the general rule? There's a three-year cutoff. Um, if the patient has been seen by you or been seen by someone in your practice in the past three years, they're considered an established patient. If they have not, they're a new patient. So if you saw a patient five years ago and they're coming back in now, they're gonna be considered a new patient just for billing. They're not new because you have seen them before. So what goes into your note? Start with the chief complaint. That's needed for every level of billing, and that's that patient's reason for visit, usually stated in the patient's words. A word of caution, try to avoid using skin check as your chief complaint. That is often not reimbursed um, by many carriers. Um, generally, if you talk to the patient, while well, they may say skin check, they'll say, yeah, I have some rough stuck on bumps on my chest. So instead of skin check, I would say bumps on chest. Then there's that HPI, and that's your history of present illness. It's the development of your patient's conditions in their own words. You're thinking about things like location, quality, severity, duration, timing, context, modifying factors, and associated signs and symptoms. It doesn't matter how many items are within each element. The only thing that matters is the amount of elements that you document. So for instance, somebody is coming in with a rash of two weeks time on their arm, chest, and back. It doesn't matter that there were three locations. All that matters is that you have a location and a duration. So that would be two of those elements. HPIs can be brief, which means one to three elements. That's also known as problem focused. Um, an extended or comprehensive HPI has to have four plus elements or in some coding structures, you have to document the status of at least three chronic or inactive conditions. So if a patient comes in and they're, you say rosacea, well-controlled on metrocream, psoriasis, well-controlled with topical corticosteroids, and um, maybe seborrheic keratoses, no new complaints, well-controlled, when itchy, use sarna lotion. Even though you're not doing as many elements for each chronic condition, they're all chronic or inactive, so that would still count as an extended HPI. 
So let's test our knowledge for a moment here. There's a 46-year-old female that sees you with an itchy rash on her right leg that has become painful after scratching the area. She has had the rash for one week and she has tried moisturizer on the area without any improvement. So I'll give you a couple, a bit of time. Think about how many HPI elements are documented and is this a brief or extended HPI? So, how many elements are documented? There's going to be five here. There's severity, location, context, duration, and modifying factors. It's on the right leg, present for a week, it's itchy, it's painful after scratching the area, and she has had the moisturizer on the area. And so given that there's five HPI elements that are documented, this would be an extended HPI. So moving beyond HPI, um, the past family, the past medical history, family history, social history, um, one to three of these elements are generally required based on the billing level. So make sure to include them. And then the review of system, that's the inventory of body systems that you get from asking a patient about their symptoms. We generally consider 14 systems with review of systems, the constitutional, the eyes, um, the ENT, cardiovascular, respiratory, um, GI, then GU, um, musculoskeletal, um, integumentary, which is of the skin, um, neurological, psychiatric, endocrine, heme and lymph, and allergy immunology. So just like with the HPI, there's multiple levels. Um, there's three levels for review of systems. Um, there's the problem pertinent, where you only ask about the body system that's directly related to the patient's problem in the HPI. So you only ask about the skin. So sometimes, you know, no other new or changing lesions. Um, the extended would be the problem pertinent plus up to nine other systems. And then the complete would be the problem pertinent plus 10 more other systems. Let's do a test our knowledge again. Uh, a 70 year old man comes in with a painful rash he also notes a fever and he has chills. So what type of review systems is this? And I'll give you a couple seconds to think about it. So this is gonna be an extended review system. It's because we have um, skin review systems, talking about the rash, um, and then a constitutional as he talks about the fever and chills. What about the physical exam? Um, that can refer to organ systems or body areas. Um, in dermatology, we generally do body areas. Um, so there's the head, which would include the face, the neck, um, the chest, the abdomen, then the genital groin buttock area, the back, and then each extremity. Um, this is a Checklist coders will use um, where they'll look based on the guidelines of 1995 or 1997. How many body systems do you need or how many organs or um, locations do you need in order to reach either a problem focused and extend expanded problem focused detailed or comprehensive um, level for the physical exam.
And then medical decision making. This is really vital. Um, I just think it's important in general when we're seeing our patients, but also because our new coding system for evaluation and management will make medical decision making the primary way you base your level of ENM code. Um, currently, um, think about it as how difficult it is to figure out what is going on with your patient and how you're going to treat that, that condition. You generally need to identify two of three factors to determine this. The number of possible diagnoses and treatment options, the risks of the condition or the treatment, and then the volume and complexity of data can, to consider. So when you're thinking about the number of possible diagnoses and treatment options, you may think, how many problems did the patient and I talk about? How certain am I of the diagnosis? How many treatment and management op options can I offer? And how certain am I of which treatment or management option to use? And did I have to ask others about the diagnosis or the treatment? Um, in terms of the risks of the condition or treatment, um, this also includes the risks of the diagnostic procedure or treatment options. So if you see someone with actinic keratoses, um, you'll talk about the risk of actinic keratoses, um, maybe their precancerous risk. But if you're going to proceed with maybe cryotherapy, you may include the uh, risks of doing cryotherapy as well. And then the volume and complexity of data can consider. Your reasons for ordering diagnosing testing or ancillary services. Did you consult older medical records? Did you have to consult with other specialties? Um, did you have to review other diagnostic test results? Um, so looking at the volume and complexity of outside data will also go towards medical decision making. It's either straightforward, low complexity, moderate complexity, or high complexity. And this is a chart we often think about. Um, you have to reach two of these three elements need to reach one of these levels in order to say it's straightforward, low, moderate, or high. Um, it can sometimes be difficult to uh, kind of figure out which complexity level you go to. Um, the new guidelines on medical decision-making will give you a little bit more granularity that I find helpful. Let's say you have all of that right now, then you have to kind of go through often these kind of complicated charts and check marks. This is what our coders will have to do in order to figure out um, what level we're going to be at in terms of medical decision-making and our level of evaluation and management. It can be quite complicated. Um, and this is what we use um, at uh, Penn State sometimes in order to try to figure out what level we're at for outpatient consults, outpatient new visits, and outpatient established visits. Time-based billing is also an option. Um, you have to document um, that more than 50% of the encounter um, was face-to-face -face time, um, referring to diagnosis, differential diagnosis, risks, benefits of treatment, instructions, compliance, um, risk reduction, or discussion with another healthcare provider. So what happened? Um, so in 2018, uh, CMS decided they wanted to try to collapse the ENM codes um, to decrease the burden of documentation. There would only be one new visit code and one outpatient code. While the simplification you know, is appreciated in terms of trying to decrease documentation burden, it might just be a little too simplified. Um, there is a big difference between a patient you're seeing for a cyst and a patient you're seeing with uh, dermatomyositis 
and you need to look for other underlying malignancies. Um, based on this, uh, the AMA through the RUC CPT process um, put together a proposed policy for how to address the ENM codes, simplifying them, but still creating some levels of differentiation between more straightforward encounters and ones that may be more complex. So with these new changes, uh, the ENM level is going to be based either on medical decision-making or time. You still need to document an appropriate history, review of systems, and physical exams, but the bullet points related to those are kind of out the window. You just have to make sure you're documenting what you think is appropriate for that encounter. So the guidelines have come out because this is coming, this is coming into effect on January 1st. Um, again, medically appropriate history and physical, billing based on time or medical decision-making. This is a really busy chart. I don't expect you to look at it too closely. What it really is saying is that the level of medical decision-making is still going to be two of three elements, number and complexity of problems addressed, amount and or complexity of data to be reviewed and analyzed, and then risk of complications and or morbidity and mortality of patient management. And number and complexity of problems is going to be based on number of problems. Are they acute or chronic? Are they stable or changing? Do they have any systemic symptoms associated with them? The data is going to be very similar to what we talked about before. Um, did you have to review tests or documents? Did you have to talk to consultants? Did you have to do an assessment requiring an independent historian if the patient was unable to provide their own history? And then for the risk of complications of management, again, that's going to be uh, both prescription medications and also procedures or testing that may need to be done in order to uh, figure out the diagnosis. So, yeah, I think that this is going to simplify a lot of our documentation for the evaluation and management codes, um, but it is a change. So it is something to keep in mind is on the horizon. So let's talk a bit about some high yield procedure codes. And I really want to focus on the biopsy codes to begin with, um, just because they're a bread and butter code that we use. And they also did recently change um, on 2000, January 1st, 2019, there was a big change in the biopsies. Um, taking again that step back, what is a biopsy? Um, that's the procedure to obtain tissue for histopathologic exam, and it's a sample of a lesion. Keep in mind, stratum corneum, stratum corneum sampling, either tape stripping um, or scraping, that's not a biopsy. You have to penetrate the stratum corneum and go deeper into the epidermis in order for something to be coded as a biopsy. So again, skin biopsy codes, Procedure is to obtain tissue for histopathologic exam, and that procedure was performed independently of other procedures and services, which may include tissue sampling. So remember, sometimes things like excisions or destructions or shave removals, um, you are sometimes sending a sample of skin for histopathologic exam, but the biopsy or the tissue removal is included in those codes. So you should not report that separately. So if you do an excision, the excision re includes removal of the tissue. You should not code for a biopsy on top of an excision. That will get denied by an insurer. So as of January 1st, 2019, we have tangential skin biopsies, punch biopsies, and incisional biopsies. 
Before that, there was just an initial skin biopsy and an additional add-on skin biopsy. So the tangential biopsy is the 11102, with the 11103 being additional biopsies. And remember, tangential can mean a shave biopsy, a scoop biopsy, a saucerizing, or a curetting. A punch biopsy is 11104, with 11105 being the each separate or additional lesion. And this does include a simple closure. And then an incisional biopsy is going to be 11106, and again includes a simple closure, with the additional being a 11107. Um, so again, those old biopsy codes of 11100 for the initial and 11100 for the additional have been deleted. We now have these more specific codes, but also keep in mind that these are skin only. They do not include the mucosa and the site-specific biopsy codes like ones of the tongue or the lip mucosa or the ear or the nail unit are still in effect. So those should still be used when appropriate. So let's compare some of the biopsy codes to other commonly used codes. Let's start with comparing the tangential biopsy to the shave removal. And when I try to teach um, how to code, I tell people intent is really important. If your intent is to obtain tissue for pathologic exam, more of a biopsy. Um, if you already have a good idea of what you think is going on, there's an irritated mole and you wanna remove it therapeutically, that would go more in the shave removals. Um, in terms of the depth, uh, tangential biopsies can either be epidermis or can be epidermis or dermis. Shave removals, generally dermis, should not be deeper than that. Um, the main difference is that tangential biopsies, you're always sending for pathology. That's the nature of a biopsy. With a shave removal, you may remove it or send it for a biopsy. Now keep in mind, this is only for billing purposes. Generally, uh, I know I personally, anything I do a shave removal on, I want to send to pathology, but for billing purposes, you don't necessarily have to send it for histopathologic exam. In terms of the codes, tangential biopsy, there's a primary and an add-on. Um, for the shave removal, there's multiple depending on the site um, and the lesion size. So what about the punch biopsies? Again, um, it's a biopsy, so it has to be sent for pathologic exam. You're using a punch instrument in this case. It's a full thickness removal of a skin sample. It includes the simple closure. If you did have to manipulate the adjoining skin, such as doing standing cones or dog ears, um, that would be included. And again, histopathologic tissue exam is always done because the intent of a biopsy is histopathologic diagnosis, not therapeutic removal. Um, and then let's talk about incisional biopsies uh, and specifically how they compare to an excision. So remember, again, incisional biopsies are biopsies. Um, you're taking part of the lesion in order to get a diagnosis. With an excision, your intent is you already know the diagnosis. You're trying to excise the entire lesion with margins. Instrument, you use a sharp blade for both. And then also for both, um, you're generally doing a full thickness tissue sample, and simple closure. But again, histopathologic evaluation, always done with a biopsy. They say usually done with an excision. You know, 
Outside of the billing world, I think that for many other reasons, we always will send excisions for histopathologic exam, especially to evaluate margin. But for billing purposes, you technically do not have to send an excision for histopathologic exam. For incisional biopsies, um, two codes only, a primary and an add-on. And then the code selection for excisions is again, is it benign or malignant? What's the location and what's the size? Now, another tricky thing with the biopsy codes is the hierarchy associated with them. What happens if you do multiple different types of biopsies? If you do one, multiple types of one biopsy, so a tangential and then another tangential, it's the initial and the add-on. What happens if you do a punch, maybe some tangential biopsies? Um, how do you code that? There's actually a hierarchy where per visit, you can only do one initial biopsy, whether it's a 11106, a 11104 punch biopsy, or a 11102 tangential biopsy. Any other biopsy you'll do during that visit will be an additional biopsy. So for instance, you do the incisional biopsy, a 11106, and then you do a punch and a tangential. That punch biopsy will actually be coded as an additional punch, a 11105. The tangential will be an additional tangential. 11103. Let's say you do a punch and then a tangential. The punch is the one that's going to be the initial. That's the higher value one. So that's going to be the 11104. And then the additional tangential will be the 11103. Uh, so there is a hierarchy with if you're doing an incisional, you're always going to use the primary incisional as the first. If you're doing a punch as the and a tangential, the punch is going to be the one that's going to be the initial. And the only time you'll use the 11102 or the initial tangential biopsy is if you're only doing tangential or shave biopsies during a visit. So let's put this into practice. Uh, a 75-year-old male comes in with an itchy rash on the trunk, a six millimeter pearly papule on the cheek, and a three millimeter painful keratotic papule on the scalp. You elect to perform a punch biopsy, a four millimeter punch biopsy on the rash, and a tangential biopsy on the cheek and the scalp. How would you appropriately code for these biopsies? And I'll give you a, a couple seconds to kind of work through that. All right, so in this case, you're doing one punch, two tangentials. Your punch is going to be the one that comes first. So it's gonna be the 11104 and then two 11103s. Going back, you're only doing a punch and a tangential. So in that hierarchy, the punch is going to be the initial and then the two tangentials are going to be additionals. So this is probably the, uh, biggest thing you have to be on the lookout for when you're doing the biopsy codes. Now, another thing to sometimes keep in mind is um, thinking beyond the CPT code itself. Um, think about the associated ICD-10 codes. Um, is this an ICD-10 code that is thought to be appropriate for the CPT code? Um, 
And there is a way to check that ahead of time um, or check that, you know, before you're doing the procedure, at least through CMS, um, through the Novitas website. Um, this can sometimes be helpful, especially with your benign destruction codes. Um, if you're concerned about um, if uh, inflamed seborrheic keratosis or a viral wart, if uh, cryotherapy destruction would be covered. Um, I do tend to check this, um, uh, especially before or before I do any procedures with patients and they're concerned about the cost associated with it. Okay, so uh, moving on, uh, let's talk about modifiers for a little bit. There are a lot of modifiers. Um, in fact, there's over 200 modifiers. Some are more high yield for dermatology than others. These are the top six modifiers in dermatology. There's modifier 59, that's the distinct procedural service. It's to indicate that a procedure or service was separate from other pr procedures performed on the same day by the same physician. Um, there is the 79, an unrelated procedure or service by the same physician during the global period. Um, there's the modifier 50, bilateral procedures performed on both sides of the body during the same patient visit. Um, there's 58 staged or related procedure or service by the same physician during the global period. The modifier 25, um, which is a really high yield one in dermatology, which is that separate identifiable E&M service by the same physician on the same day of another procedure or other service. And then the 24, the unrelated evaluation and management service by the same physician during a global period. So let's go through some of these a little bit more specifically. Let's talk about modifier 24 to start. So this is the evaluation and management by the same physician during the global period. Um, the services have to be clearly significant, separate, and distinct from the procedure and services. And this has to be for a concern other than evaluating a wound, removing sutures, or discussing prognosis. So keep in mind that many of our procedures have global periods associated with them. A good example of when a modifier 24 may be in use is if you see a patient for an EDNC, an electrodesiccation and curatage of a malignant neoplasm, um, maybe a basal cell skin cancer, um, that would have a 10-day global period associated with it. Um, let's say three or four days later, they come in and they say, I have a new itchy rash on my legs after coming in contact with poison ivy. You see them in the office, you confirm it's poison ivy, maybe you prescribe a topical steroid. You would bill an evaluation and management code, but you'd have to put the modifier 24 on there because you're doing this during the global period for the EDNC. Keep in mind if the patient's coming in because they're concerned about a wound infection, if they need to have sutures removed or there's something comes back on the pathology from an excision maybe that needs a discussion, um, that would not be a separate E&M. Um, that would be uh, in the, the global period, so you wouldn't be billing for that. I'm um, going back to these codes. Um, the modifier 24 is for the evaluation and management. If you ended up doing a procedure on this patient that was unrelated to the EDNC, um, then you do the modifier 79. What about 25? Um, this one is one we use really commonly because it's a separate, significant, a significant separate identifiable E&M service when the same day you're doing a minor procedure. So if you see a patient um, and you do an evaluation and management, you do a full skin check, um, 
when you identify angioma, separate keratoses, actinic keratoses, um, then you maybe do cryotherapy of actinic keratoses. Um, that's when you'd add on a modifier 25. How do you know it's appropriate to do a modifier 25? The important thing is to remove the entire evaluation and management component for the procedure. If enough documentation remains to support an ENM, then you can do the modifier 25. So if a patient just came in for red scaly papules on the face, consistent with actinic keratoses, you then treated the actinic keratoses with cryotherapy, you would not be billing an ENM service. You would just be billing for the premalignant destructions. However, again, if you saw that patient and they also had seborrheic keratoses and angiomas and you educated them on those diagnoses, um, then that would count as a separate identifiable component to that visit that could be billed for as an ENM. We'll talk about 58 briefly. Um, that's used when you perform a staged or related procedure within the global surgical period. This could be planned or unplanned. Um, often we see this with things like Mohs surgery. And then modifier 59, it's a one that is very, is often, it's one of the most misused modifiers. Um, it's when you perform two or more distinct procedures in one visit. What does that mean? It means you perform two distinct procedures during the same appointment, for instance. Um, so you are doing a biopsy, on an arm and the EDNC on the leg. Uh, when you have two encounters with the same patient on the same day, uh, that happens uh, less often. And then when the procedures are mutually exclusive. Um, again, you may even be able to argue that doing a biopsy on one area and EDNC on another area, they're two different um, neoplasms, so they're mutually exclusive of each other. Additionally, to make it even more complicated, there's kind of the modifier of the modifiers called the X uh, ESPUs that can also be used. Uh, they're a little bit more specific, uh, but we don't need to, we're not going to go into this as much during the scope of this uh, talk. So again, um, really common modifiers you should be comfortable with is uh, modifier 24, so the unrelated ENM service by the same physician during the post-op visit. Um, the modifier 25, the significant separately identifiable ENM service. Um, we're going to skip the 26 and 57, um, but also keep in mind 58 uh, staged or related procedures, um, 59 the distinct procedural service, um, and also you can think about modifier 76, which is a repeat procedure or service by the same physician or other qualified healthcare provider. All right, so let's talk about some common mistakes that you might see with billing and coding. So these are kind of some of my top five. So the first one is the inappropriate ENM level and inclusion. At this point, you guys are experts on this. So um, either upbilling or underbilling your ENM level. Uh, many people are taught, you know, just go for a level three for everything. You'll generally be fine most of the time. But you know, you're selling yourself short in some situations, and you're probably overbilling in other situations. So Again, this is going to get a little bit easier with the new ENM coding starting January 1st, 2021, um, but uh, still something to keep in mind for now. And also ENM inclusion, that will go to like the modifier 25, the fact that maybe you don't need to bill an ENM in the visit, especially if there's a, a minor procedure that's happening when you see the patient. 
inappropriate biopsy code. We just talked about that. So make sure you understand the hierarchies of the biopsy codes, um, especially if you're doing multiple codes. And then when you might use a biopsy code as opposed to a shave removal code. Um, keep in mind global periods. We talked about that briefly during modifiers. Know that there are some codes that have global periods associated with them. Um, common ones to think about are the destruction codes, all of them, the benign, the premalignant, and the malignant ones, um, excisions as well. Um, those can have a certain number of days attached to them. Um, with, these, uh, with the destruction codes, for instance, it's 10 days, um, during which uh, if you see the patient for something related to the procedure, um, you're not supposed to bill because that's included in that global period. However, if you see them for a separate reason, then you're going to use the appropriate modifier. And that brings us to the next one, inappropriate modifier use. So make sure you have a good grasp of some of the more high yield modifiers and uh, know when it's appropriate to use them. I talked about 25 a lot. That's one that a lot of um, insurances had been targeting and looking at. And that was one where, um, in fact, uh, there had been some thought if E&M codes needed to be decreased in reimbursement if a 25 was appended. Um, and then lastly, the ICD-10 and CPT code mismatch. So um, if you're doing a benign destruction code, um, if your ICD-10 does not support medical necessity for that, um, your patient may get billed quite a bit. And I know we've all gotten those angry calls from patients who have been charged hundreds of dollars for a destruction of a seborrheic keratosis. Um, so um, just keep in mind um, when ICD-10 codes can be used to uh, support medical necessity for certain CPT codes. All right, so going back through those learning objectives, um, I hope now you're able to explain the elements required to build an evaluation and management code. Um, you're able to identify common CPT codes used in dermatology and how to appropriately utilize them. Uh, you're an expert now on modifiers and the common modifiers we use in dermatology billing and coding. Um, and then you're able to recognize uh, common billing and coding mistakes in dermatology and hopefully how to avoid them. So thank you for listening. And uh, this is my email address. If you have any questions, you can email me um, or I'm happy to take any questions now.